0: Good morning, everyone. It is good to be with you again to worship our Lord. I know that uh, this season, where we're struggling with sicknesses all around us and people that are having difficult days with sickness, like we've had some in our family, and I know a lot of you have as well for various reasons, whether it be COVID or other things, uh, it's good to see your faces this morning together. And it's good to have you with us online if you're joining us on the live stream. Uh, we are going to be today in the Old Testament. If you would turn in your Bibles to the Book of Numbers, chapter thirteen. Book of Numbers, chapter thirteen. These guys will try to stay with me on the screens uh, to give you the passages if you don't know where to go in your Bibles or if you don't have one with you today. Uh, but it's going to be a lot of scripture. We're going to cover pretty quickly. Uh, I want you to understand that today's message is a standalone one. It's not part of a series. It's when we're going to talk about faith and we're going to talk about fear. And uh, we're going to talk about how our faith should always trump our fears. Now, I'm not talking about that in some type of uh, generic way. I'm saying to you that when we have hope in Jesus, when Jesus Christ, who died for our sins on the cross, is our only hope in life and death, when he is ours and we are his because he has made us alive from death to life, he has created us once again in newness in His image. If that's you, if you put your hope in Jesus, then there is nothing for us to fear. There is nothing for us to look at and to think it cannot be overcome. But I think often in our lives we face challenges and we see obstacles and we go through trials that can not only be a little overwhelming, but they can take every bit of our hope out from under us. They can erase our best thoughts about what could be possibly on the other side in God's grace and we can get our eyes so focused on what's in front of us or what we've been through that we can't really see where God is leading us into the places he's already prepared for us and eventually into the promised land of being in his presence forever when he comes to take us home and so today I want us to look at a passage of scripture to help us understand what it looks like when we're in these moments of transition in our personal lives in the life of our faith family Uh, Just for anyone out there that has been struggling with wondering when is this going to end or when is it going to get better or how in the world can we ever get through this or get to a better place than where we were, is it always going to look like this? And I don't know about you, but I seem to hear those questions often. Do you you hear them or say them yourself? Especially looking at right now, everybody's talking about COVID again, everybody's getting sick and we're all wondering, is this ever going to end? Is it always going to be the new thing It becomes the normal. And I'm here to tell you that one day it will end, that in Christ, all things will come to a closure that are not good and holy in him. And when he comes to take us home, we'll enjoy him in the way we were meant to from the very beginning, and we'll do it for forever. This story in Numbers is a, uh, I would say this, it's not what I would call an uplifting story in the story of Israel. It's one that kind of ends in a bad place, but it's one that should show us Is a cautionary tale that should show us where we place our hope, and no matter what we go through, if we put our eyes on the Lord and we act in faith and not in fear, we too will be delivered over into the next phases that God is preparing for us even now. So let's look at it. Uh, We're going to read Numbers 13. Starting in verse 1, we're going to skip around a little bit just for time's sake. Your homework assignment is to go back and read this in its totality. Uh, I'm going to give you some extra passages that point all the way back to Genesis. We're going to look at some in Exodus and look all the way ahead to the New Testament. But if you would go home and read Numbers 13 and 14 and let that be your devotional for the next couple of days, I think you will see that God will mine the depths of it to really bring it home for us. So let's start off in Numbers chapter 13, verses 1 through Three. Before we do, let me pray one more time for us and ask the Lord to guide us and give us clarity as we move through his word. Father, we, we are sinful people. Lord, you are good and holy and righteous. We do not deserve your grace. We do not deserve your mercy. But out of your great love, you have seen fit to make a way for us to be reconciled to you, for you to overcome our sinfulness and to deliver us into righteousness and to bring us home into your faith family. God, thank you for sending Jesus to do all of that for us. That you would send your one and only son is without understanding here. We cannot fully understand the depths of what you have done for us. But Lord, we thank you for Jesus. Help us this morning to see how our hope remains in him through the work you've done and who you are and what you promised to do. And by your spirit, would you lead us to trust in you more today as we leave than we did when we first came in, so that you would receive all the glory and all the praise. And we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Numbers 13. You pick up the story, just so you're familiar here. God had promised Abraham he was going to make a great nation from his seed, and he sends Abraham to a land that's going to be his. And then through many different uh, situations that occurred and trials, uh, the descendants of Abraham end up going over to Egypt to get help in a time of famine, and then they stay there for about 400 years, and they become slaves in a land that is not their own. And they cry out to God, asking God to deliver them out of this slavery, and he sends them Moses, one of their own, who had uh, been one who grew up in Pharaoh's household, one who had made a mistake or done something bad by murdering an Egyptian, and he ran for his life, and God brings him back to deliver God's people out of the land of Egypt. And he delivers them out of that slavery. He delivers them through some miraculous stuff we're going to refer to later. He brings them into the wilderness on the way to the land he had promised them. And we pick up the story here as they approach that land and they're waiting And God is telling them to go over and check it out and get ready to go into the land that's been promised. So here we pick it up in Numbers 13, verse 1. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Send men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the people of Israel. From each tribe of their fathers you shall send a man, every one a chief among them. So Moses sent them from the wilderness of Paran, according to the command of the Lord, all of them men who were heads of the people of Israel. Drop down to verse 17. Moses sent them to spy out the land of Canaan and said to them, Go up into the Negev and go into the hill country and see what the land is, and whether the people who dwell in it are strong or weak, whether they are few or many, and whether the land that they dwell in is good or bad, and whether the cities that they dwell in are camps or strongholds, and whether the land is rich or poor, or whether there are trees in it or not. Be of good courage and bring some of the fruit of the land. Now the time was the season for the first ripe grapes. So they went up and spied out the land from the wilderness of Zin to Rehob, to Rehob near Lebo Hamath. And they went up into the Negev and came to Hebron, Ahiman, Shishai, and Talmai. The descendants of Anak were there. Hebron was built seven years before Zon in Egypt. And they came to the valley of Eskol and cut down from there a branch with a single cluster of grapes. And they carried it on a pole between two of them. They also brought some pomegranates and figs. And that place was called the Valley of Eshcol because of the cluster that the people of Israel cut down from there. Now listen. At the end of 40 days, verse 25, chapter 13. At the end of 40 days, they returned from spying out the land. And they came to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation of the people of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. They brought back word to to tell them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. And they told them, We came to the land to which you sent us. It flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. However, the people who dwell in the land are strong, and the cities are fortified and very large. And besides, we saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the Negev. The Hittites, the Jebusites, and the Amorites dwell in the hill country, and the Canaanites dwell by the sea along the Jordan. But Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, let us go up at once and occupy it, for we are well able to overcome it. Then the men who had gone up with him said, we are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we are. So they brought to the people of Israel a bad report of the land that they had spied out, saying, the land through which we have gone out to spy it out is a land that devours its inhabitants, and all the people that we saw in it are of great height. And there we saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak, who come from the Nephilim. And we seemed to ourselves like grasshoppers, and so we seemed to them. Then all the congregation raised a loud cry. The people wept that night, and all the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The whole congregation said to them, Would that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would that we have died in the wilderness? Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become a prey. Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to one another, let us choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Now, by the way, this is what they've been saying the whole time. Every time there's a problem, oh, you brought us out of Egypt and now we're stuck against the sea. You should have just left us in Egypt to die there. And what does God do? He provides a way out. And then they get in the wilderness and they keep asking for God to to provide for them. And he does. He provides food out of heaven. And they have food every day to eat. And on the day that they can't work, they still have enough food left over to keep them good through those times as well. And when they don't have anything to drink, he makes water flow out of rocks. And every time they have a need, he takes care of them. And now here they are looking at another obstacle, and they're fearful of it. And they're brought back a story of fear from these leaders. And as they step up here, we see them saying, You should have just left us in Egypt. Why did we come out here to die? Just let us die in the wilderness instead of bringing us up to have our families destroyed when we go into this land. Look at verse 5. Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before all the assembly of the congregation of the people of Israel. And Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jehephunneh, who were among those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes, and said to all the congregation of the people of Israel, The land which we passed through to spy it out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us... He will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land that flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord, and do not fear the people of the land, for they are bread for us. Their protection is removed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. Now, notice what he's saying there, they're saying, hey, they've got all this great food in this land. He said, no, no, they're our bread. We're going to eat them. We're going to devour them. We will have victory because God is on our side. If he delights in us, this will be our place. He's telling us to go. We must go. Do not fear them and do not, the key words, rebel against the Lord. Because that's the truth, right? When we have God being clear about what we should do in any point of life and we don't do it, we are rebelling against him. When he says don't commit that sin and we do it anyway, we're in rebellion. That's how grievous our sins are. When we rebel against a holy, righteous God, we deserve a holy, righteous, just punishment for that. And so here he's saying don't rebel. Don't bring down God's anger upon us. Let's not fear men. Let's go forward. Verse 10 Then all the congregation said to stone them with stones, but the glory of the Lord appeared at the tent of the meeting to all the people of Israel. And the Lord said to Moses, how long will this people despise me and how long will they not believe in me in spite of all the signs I've done among them? I will strike them with a pestilence and disinherit them, and I will make of you a nation greater and mightier than they. But Moses said to the Lord, then the Egyptians will hear of it. For you brought up this people in your might from among them, and they will tell the inhabitants of this land, They have heard that you, O Lord, are in the midst of this people. For you, O Lord, are seen face to face, and your cloud stands over them, and you go before them in a pillar of cloud by day, and in a pillar of fire by night. Now, if you kill this people as one man, Then the nations who have heard your fame will say, It is because the Lord was not able to bring this people into the land that he swore to give to them, that he has killed them in the wilderness. And now, please, let the power of the Lord be great as you have promised, saying, The Lord is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, forgiving iniquity and transgression. But he will by no means clear the guilty. Visiting the iniquity of the fathers, on the children to the third and fourth generation, please pardon the iniquity of this people according to the greatness of your steadfast love, just as you have forgiven this people from Egypt until now. And then the Lord goes on and says, in the next few verses, he basically says, "None of the people is, I will pardon them, but none of the people that have turned away just now are going to enter into the promised land. You will have to. I command you to go back into the wilderness. And all the people, 20 years old and and above, will die in the desert. And only Joshua and Caleb, who are older and have been there, will make it out. In fact, he takes all those who brought back a bad report, and when they have brought that bad report back, he says they will die of pestilence, and they do. They die immediately from that. And we see that they then decide, all of a sudden, they're like, hey, well, you know what, now, no, 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 okay, let's turn around. Now we're going to go. Let's go into the land, and we're going to fight this battle and win this war. But God had already made a new commandment to them, and he had said to go back in the wilderness. And they denied and rebelled again, thinking they were repenting. See, repentance is never, by the way, repentance is never to do what we think we should do whenever we want to do it. It's always to be obedient to the Lord. And he says, go this way, you go this way. You don't say, no, 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 you said this earlier, I'm going to go this way now. And so they go, and they get into battle, and Moses tries to warn them, and they fall in battle, and they are just devoured. And then they finally go the way the Lord has told them to go, back into the wilderness. Now, that's a heavy story, isn't it? I mean, that's not the story you think you're going to get when you come together in a faith family, and we're singing songs about no having no fear, right? They had fear, and they went in the land after God said, don't do it now, and they were destroyed by those people. They had fear about what they were facing and about the unknowns and about the reports they had heard and they didn't have the faith to walk and trust in the Lord, even though he had proven himself over and over and over. And so let me just put a contrast here for us to understand that faith has to always trump fear in our lives and especially in our lives as the church because there's a lot of good reasons for that. Let me give you, let me give you some, some ways to think about it. Let me say it this way. Faith is trusting in God more than we trust in our circumstances. You, listen, brothers and sisters, we have been through a lot in the last, as Chris said earlier, two years. We have had a lot of hurt, a lot of heartache, a lot of suffering, a lot of sadness, a lot of tragedy, a lot of hurt, deep hurt, a lot of loneliness. We've been through a lot of things. And it's easy for those circumstances to seem overwhelming to us. It's easy for those circumstances to take the focus in our lives. But this thinking this way, faith requires thinking first. Faith requires us thinking rightly about God and taking actions based on the truth of the Word of God and not just on trying to respond as we think we should to our fears. I'll say it a different way. Faith comes when we focus our hearts on God Fear overwhelms us when we focus on our circumstances. I'll try one more way just to get it right. Make sure we get it from all angles here. Faith comes when we trust that our Savior is greater than our circumstances. Faith also comes when we hear an answer to our prayers that we don't like, but we still trust Him anyway. Because somehow, somehow, I don't know about you, but I get confused sometimes because I think that When I ask for God to do something, he has to do it in the way that I think it needs to be done, where he has to give me the exact answer the way that I want to receive it instead of trusting in him and saying, Lord, you know what's better and best and I will trust you no matter the answer. I'm just asking for your grace or your mercy or your healing. And sometimes those things come in a miraculous moment of redemption or reconciliation or in some miracle that we see or experience. And sometimes it comes... When he takes us home in glory and we get to enjoy him forever. We don't know the answers and how it's going to come. We know we can trust him because he's proven himself and we know who he is. So here's, I'm going to give you three things that helps us to live in this faith rather than living in that fear. And so it's real simple and stuff you've probably heard before. I'm going to talk about focusing on who God is, on what God has done and what he's promised to do. That's the three things we're going to look at for this. These folks, these Israelites, had been trapped for 400 years in a land that was not their own, and they'd experienced a lot of pain and suffering. Just one example, Pharaoh had gone about and tried to kill every son that was born by throwing them into the Nile. Genocide was happening to weaken them. Pharaoh brought down the hammer on them whenever he needed to to make sure they could get what they needed to have out of them but God heard their cries. Listen, when we focus on who God is, it helps us to see that we can trust him. They turned their eyes to the Lord and they cried out to him. Listen, in our experiences, when we focus our hearts and minds on the sovereignty of our God, the fact that he is As was stated earlier, as we sung about earlier, we focus on his complete sovereignty over every situation and every circumstance, over everything that's going on in our lives, everything that's happening in our church, everything that's happening in our land. When we look at that, the size of our obstacles before us begin to shrink, and the massive greatness of our God overwhelms our hearts and puts us into a better place to trust him remembering that he is sovereign. Remember that God is the creator and sustainer of the universe, so nothing can overcome his will for his people. Nothing. You may think, why did I go through this? I don't know why we go through some things we go through. I know sin has impacted everything, and God hates death and tragedy and disease so much he sent Jesus to come and die and overcome it for us on the cross. We also need to remember that God likes to show off his glory and his might. Here's, here's something I, I struggle with a lot. I don't like to be the one that God uses to show that he's great and I'm weak so that he gets the glory. You understand what I'm saying? He, he, the scripture says he likes to shame the strong with the weak. Uh, listen, he does this sometimes allowing our circumstances that seem impossible to overcome. We've got to remember that nothing's impossible for him. Listen, in Exodus 14 the Israelites are driven up against the sea, and they think that they're all going to die, right? They think they're all going to die. And here's what God says to them. He says to Moses, he says, Tell the people of Israel to turn back and encamp in front of pi HaHiroth, between Migdol and the sea, in front of baal Zephon. You shall encamp facing it by the sea. For Pharaoh will say of the people of Israel, They are wandering in the land. The wilderness has shut them in, and I will harden Pharaoh's heart and he will pursue them, and I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts, and the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. So what does he do? He gets them out of Egypt, and they're running for their life, and he says, go up here and stand by this giant sea where you have nowhere else to go, and look at the sea, and I'm going to let Pharaoh know that, and he's going to think that y'all are just wandering, so he's going to get mad, and I'm going to harden his heart, and I'm going to throw him after you so that I get glory over Pharaoh. I don't know about you, but I think if I was standing in the midst of Israel at that point, I'd be thinking, like, can we just avoid that last part? You know, can you just, like, bring us over into the land and not let us get almost crushed by Pharaoh? It sounds like a cool movie, but I don't want to be in it, you know? But he doesn't do that. In fact, he goes on a little bit later in Exodus 14, verse 15, the Lord said to Moses, why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward. It's after he's parted the seas, right? Right. Lift up your staff, stretch out your hand over the sea, divide that the people of Israel may go through the sea on dry ground. And I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they will go in after them. And I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts, his chariots, and his horsemen. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. When I have gotten glory over Pharaoh, his chariots, and his horsemen. Let me tell you something, brothers and sisters. We may not always feel this way when we go through difficulties or hardships or pain or suffering. But the Lord's primary purpose in all things, because he deserves this and it is right to be doing this, is for him to get glory over all. That's always his primary focus. And so when you go through a hardship and you're wondering, why, Lord, like why am I having to go through this? I don't know about all of you, but I've been through a few hardships in my life where I, I sit out on the steps and my family's asleep and I'm praying and I'm asking the Lord, Why? Why won't you do this thing, Lord? Or why haven't you brought this to this point, Lord? And then at some point, he brings it back to say, it's not about your comfort as much as it is the joy you will have when my glory is shown in and through this situation. And that's when he breaks my heart and leads us to a place where we say, whatever it takes, Lord, it's an honor to be a part of it. Whatever that means in the end. Now, that doesn't come from strength. That comes from hitting the bottom in weakness, yet trusting what we know about who God is. And secondly, we have to focus on what God has already done. All right? Focus on what God has already done. These people have already forgotten. Remember this. In Exodus 2, the people cry out, and he hears them. Exodus two twenty three. During those many days, the king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery cried out for help their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God and God heard their groaning and God remembered his covenant with Abraham with Isaac and with Jacob and God saw the people of Israel and God knew he hears you he knows he hears he knows and he cares he cares so much he's already sent his son to overcome it for you Remember how God delivered the people with plagues? I don't know about you, but I would have been thinking it might have been cool to see a river turn to blood. But when I see, like, animals falling out of the sky, that would have weirded me out a little bit. I might have got worried. When I saw the firstborn being dead everywhere around us as we left town, I would be filled with fear. When I was told to, to kill a lamb and cover the doorpost with the blood of that lamb, I'd be thinking, what in the world are we doing? Okay, Lord, we're going to trust you. You've proven yourself over and over again. Here we go. And now we see that he brings his people out of slavery through the lamb that was slaughtered, right, in Egypt. The lambs they all slaughtered and put the door post covered with blood. So when the angel of death passed over, they weren't touched by the death. And all of that to point them to the hope they would find in the coming Messiah. Where they would celebrate the Passover meal from there forward, remembering what God had done, pointing to how God would eventually fulfill it in totality, which we're going to celebrate later today as we partake of the Lord's Supper with the Son who was the ultimate sacrifice for us, whose blood was spilt so that the death angel would pass over us and we don't have to taste of death, but we have a God. A father who sent his son, also God, to die for us in our place so that he would taste death for us so we'd never have to taste it. No matter what comes against us, we have nothing to fear because God's erased anything that could hurt us. Nothing. The Lamb of God to take away the sin of the world, the one spotless, sinless one, Jesus, who lived the life we could not live and died the death we deserve so that we could be brought into the kingdom of God if we would just believe in him our one and only hope. They've seen this over and over again. We've seen it. We've known it. If you're a Christian, you've experienced it. But oh, how quickly our circumstances overtake us. Oh, how quickly the heartache and the hardships can overwhelm us. And I'm not saying you're wrong for being overwhelmed. I'm saying turn your eyes back to Jesus. Look whole His wonderful face. The things of this world will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. He is our hope. Remember how great our sin was and how great our Savior overcame it on the cross. Remember that he parted the sea and saved the people. Remember that he used the weak, to shame, the strong. I said it earlier, listen. For consider your calling, brothers, 1 Corinthians 1. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. Thanks for pointing that out, Paul right? Not many of you were too awesome. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God, so that he would get the glory alone, and we'd all boast in him. And because of him, You, if you put your hope in Jesus, you are in Christ, who became to us wisdom from God, our righteousness, our sanctification, our redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the who? Lord. In the Lord. So that he gets the glory. So yes, we are weak. And yes, we struggle. And we are not perfect. And the days will overwhelm. But we have a Savior who's already overcome, and his name is Jesus. So we can trust in who he is and what he's already done. Our faith can never be in our ability to overcome, but must always be in the God who overwhelms by his glory and grace. So remember that God provides, just like he did for them. He'll provide what we need the moment we need it. We can trust him because of who he is and what he's done, and we can also trust him because of what he's promised to do. This is where we bring it out to the end here. These guys forgot the promises of God. Israel focused on their fears more than on the promises of God. Listen to this. Again, I'm going to read it again. Numbers 14. One through four. Then all the congregation raised a loud cry, and the people wept that night. And all the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The whole congregation said to them, Would that we have died in the land of Egypt, or would that we have died in the wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become a prey. Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to one another, Let us choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Listen. However much you think it'd be better to go back to the way things were, that's impossible. No matter what we left behind, it will never be that way exactly again. Whether it be a choice you've already made, or it be a style of something you're doing, or whether you can't go back, I know some of you are still keeping the bell bottoms, and those are back, and that's weird, right? (laughs) But I'm, I'm telling you, you can't. It's not the same, though, is it? It's not the same. An old thing in a new situation, but it's never, you can never go back to the way it was. We're never going to go back to the way it was in the totality. It's not there anymore. That's the past. We live in a moment where God is calling us to be and do whoever he wants us to be and do so that we can be most effective for the kingdom in this moment in the world in which we live. We cannot go back in those ways, but we can rely on the promises he made back then to lead us in the moment now. And this is what Israel forgot. We have to remember that our Father always fulfills His promises. Always. God told them about this very moment 400 years before it happened. And He assured them He would prevail over their enemies. I'm going to read it for us. Genesis 15, verse 13 through 20. Listen. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. He's telling them, this is a promise from him. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age, and they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking firepot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. That's basically God saying, I promise you to the point of death. Like, if God could die, he said, I'm giving, I'm showing you right now, I am saying there's nothing that can stop this covenant. And on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, to your offspring, I give this land, from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Cadmonites the Hittites, the Perizzites, and the Rephaim." And then right after God delivered them out, he gives them another reminder of this promise. Even after he takes them 400 years later, they're coming out of slavery, and he says to them in Exodus 17, he says, then the Lord said to Moses, write this as a memorial in a book and recite it in the ears of Joshua, that I will utterly blot out the memory of Amalek, the Amalekites, I get confused here, but I'm pretty good so far, right? He says, I will blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. And Moses built an altar and called the name of it, The Lord is My Banner, saying, A hand upon the throne of the Lord, the Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. He tells them, I'm going to wipe out the Amalekites. I'm going to wipe them out. And what happens? They go up and they spy out the land. They come back and they say, The Amalekites are there. And what happens from that point? What does he say? As he's looking at the Amalekites, and you see all that army? And they're afraid of how big the Amalekites are. They're afraid of how big all these people are. They're afraid of how mighty these people are and how hard it's going to be to overcome them. But God said, I'm going to wipe them out. They forgot the promises. And brothers and sisters, I think we often forget the promises of God in our lives. Now look, I am not a prosperity preacher. I'm not going to sit here and say if we just call out the promises of God, he has to give them to us. That's not how it works. But when he makes a promise, we know he will bring it to fruition. We are to approach the throne boldly with our requests and our petitions, but we are not to approach him demanding anything of God. We are to see him and fear him over fearing our circumstances. That's the kind of faith that we need. And here's how it works out as we close it down. God has promised to overcome the obstacles before us as his church. Whatever he sets up for us to do, whatever it takes for us to move forward, to be an impact team towards the kingdom of God taking over this place, that's what he will do if we resolve to, in faith, respond in obedience to his leading. Israel didn't do it. You know what happened to them? They got stuck in the wilderness for 40 years, and they all died. And the next generation went in and took the land and, God used them and brought glory to himself. Let us not be a family who, out of fear, doesn't want to do whatever it takes to become the church necessary to make a kingdom impact in Etowah County. Because God will wait us out. You know, I've heard it before, and I'll hear it again, I'm sure. Whenever a pastor goes to a place and somebody gets mad at him, and it's going to happen, usually pretty fast. Somebody's going to get mad at Something. And when it happens, you know what I hear and have heard, and all my friends have heard in ministry, they always hear, this is my church, I was here before you got here, and I'm going to be here after you got here. I'm going to be here when you're gone. Amen? Amen? Yeah, you've heard that, right? The truth is, this is the Lord's church. And the greatest fear I have for our faith family is not that we will make mistakes or that we will do something that's not as effective, or that we'll try something that will fail, my greatest fear is that we would not step out in faith to do whatever God says to do. That we would rebel, and our hearts would be turned into ourselves, and God would remove his hand of grace and let us die off until he brings up the next generation to do the thing we should have done. Lord, let it not be so. Let today be a day for us to determine and decide as the church that we will do whatever you want us to do for your glory. This is my prayer in a moment. We're going to pray together, and I'm going to ask you to pray for that kind of crazy faith in the Lord. Whatever it looks like, and I don't have a picture in my mind, whatever it looks like that God says, our answer should be yes and amen. Because we are no longer slaves of fear, we've been made children of God. We have nothing to fear. God has promised to overcome these obstacles. Listen to this in Matthew 16. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? In verse 14, they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say I am? And Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, which is the word Petros. I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock, Petros is rock or stone, and Petra is stone as well. It says, on this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Nothing can prevail against the Lord's church that stands on the gospel of Jesus as it's everything. Nothing. Whatever he calls us to, it will be accomplished. No matter how many times we fail, God's purposes will be accomplished. He's proven it because of who he is and what he's done and what he has promised to do, even this. And he promises to bring us into glory no matter how hard it is, no matter how overwhelming it is, no matter how big the obstacles are we face in this life. Listen to these words to you personally from Jesus in John 14, 1. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. He says, in my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am you may be also. And you know the way where I am going. And Thomas said to him, my namesake, the doubter, right? Said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way truth and the life no one comes to the father but through me listen brothers and sisters no matter what we think we have to overcome we do not have enough no matter how much power we think we have how much steadfastness we think we have how much stamina we think we have we do not have enough but God has proven that Jesus has enough to overcome everything so in him the way we can find our way to be kingdom makers here. In him, through his power and his working, we can have hope and faith, knowing that nothing can stand in his way and nothing can come against his church, for he has already sealed the deal and had victory on the cross of Calvary. In our place where he stood condemned, he then rose in victory over Satan, sin, death, and hell in our place, so that in him and with him, we will see God do mighty things as long as we keep our faith and follow him. So let us do like the early disciples who even in doubt followed him and said, yes, Lord. Yes and amen. Father, we need your grace now. We need your mercy right now. Lord, help us now. I'm asking all of those in this congregation who were yours, who have been redeemed to pray to you now and say, whatever you want, Lord, we will do it. We will not be stuck in the past. We will not be focused on our obstacles. We will not be focused on the things that seem to overwhelm us. Lord, we're going to trust in you. We may be beat down by those things, but we will know that we have a sure and steadfast hope in the Lord who's overcome all things in his death, burial, and resurrection. In the name of the Lord Jesus, we will hope. Lord, help us to find our hope in him. Help us to lay everything else down and say, whatever you want, Lord, we say yes and amen, because we are no longer slaves of fear, but you have made us children of you, the Most High. Father, help us to put our hope and trust in Jesus. Lord, if there's anyone here that has yet to know you, I pray right now that you would convict by the power of your Holy Spirit, and they would not be able to escape your grasp, that you would bring them to a place of repentance, and they would turn and put their hope and trust in you. Lord, you can woo them. Call them, Lord, please, and let us celebrate with you, and give you glory. For in our weakness, we cannot change a heart, but you can. In our weakness, we cannot overcome the obstacles we face, but you have already done the work to overcome them. We wait on you, Lord, and we will follow you wherever you lead. Lord, help us to trust and rely on you in faith and not lean into fear. And we ask that in Jesus' holy and precious name. Amen. Now. If you are a believer, if you put your hope and faith in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, and if you have done that here or abroad or wherever, but you are a brother or sister in Christ, you are welcome to join with us in communion now. Uh, We have some um, little cups in front of you, in the seat back in front of you, or on a chair next to you. If you don't have one, or there weren't enough in your row, would you just raise your hand and some of our folks that have some more of these will bring them to you? When you get it, be careful. There's two layers to this. You notice the little, they call it bread, a little wafer here. Um, When you go to open that up, be careful. Get the little light, clear cellophane to open that one first and take that out. And then you can open up the other one, and you'll be able to have the, the juice, the cup, When God led the Israelites out of Egypt, he gave them a picture of what it takes to overcome sin. He says that sin is only forgiven the shedding of blood. And so they took a lamb that was perfect, without blemish, for each household, and they, they, they shed the blood of that lamb, and they put it over the doorpost, basically saying that they entered in through the sacrifice of that lamb, and so they were covered in the blood of that sacrifice so that they would not be struck down in death. And they then celebrated that Passover meal every year until the time when Jesus arrived on the scene, and they were still doing it. And then on the night before he was betrayed, he went and he gathered for this meal with the disciples. And we see it recounted in several places in Scripture, but here's the major point of it. Jesus takes this bread and he breaks it. Okay? And he breaks it. And he says, This is my body broken for you. He's saying, I'm the lamb through which you must pass. I am the way, the truth, and the life. There's no other way but through me. And I have my body broken for you so that in me you can find wholeness and fulfillment and joy and peace and life everlasting. And this is what they celebrated around that day together before he went to the cross to make that sacrifice. So Lord we thank you for your sacrifice and we ask you now to help us to trust in you. to, To not lean into our fears but to lean into the hope that comes from Jesus and his death on the cross. Jesus then took the cup that represented the blood that was spilled by the the spotless lamb. And he says, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. He's saying, now you are going to come under my blood so that you are covered in my blood and that you are seen not through eyes of those. The Lord looks at you. He doesn't look at you and say he needs to be destroyed because of his sin. But instead, he sees the blood sacrifice of Jesus, the perfect righteous one who died in our place. And now when he looks at us, he sees us as being righteous even though we're still sinners. He sees us as righteous. That's how powerful the blood of Jesus is. So that when the time comes for Jesus to make all things right and he brings the sword, we will still be under the blood, under his blood. This is the new covenant. We trust in that blood for our everything. We don't look at our fears. We don't look at our circumstances and think it can't be overcome. We look at the blood of Christ and say it's already been overcome in Christ Jesus. And we're going to trust in you, Lord. So if you put your hope and trust in Jesus. And once again today, let's celebrate the Lord's death until he returns. Amen. Lord, we are but wretched sinners who have been saved by your grace. Help us as we sing praise to you. Help us as we pray and ask for forgiveness from particular sins, Lord, however you lead us, would you not let us leave this place until we are right with you? And Lord, we know we cannot overcome any of the stuff in our lives that are beating us down or that are overwhelming, whether it be the future that's already been secured by your, your, your sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, or whether it be our hope in the moment that is, is cast down because of our situation that seems so dark and bleak, Lord, we know that you can bring us back to a centered place on you. If we turn our eyes to Jesus, because we are no longer slaves to our sin, we're no longer slaves to our fears, we have become children of the Most High God, because you sent your Son to die for us. Lord, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you for Jesus. May he be lifted high in this place, in our lives daily, and may we walk in faith and action and not in fear, Lord, as we trust in him